Morning, Warden. How are you doing on this chilly, chilly morning? Let's be honest. Let's be honest. We've been a little spoiled, okay? We're, we're halfway through January, and I think this is the first day I woke up, and I'm like, oh, I hate winter. But uh, I always joke around. When we were growing up in Newfoundland, you know, winter was like snowmobiles and all these different things and skiing and ice fishing and all these different things. Not that we don't do those things here, but when you're in the city most of the time, let's be honest, winter is wet feet, right? And cold mornings. No, I'm just kidding. I should be more, I should be more optimistic. But hey, just a few months, we'll be, it'll be getting warmer again. We're good. We're good. We're good. Amen. It's good to be in God's house today. And over the next couple of weeks, I want to be... Uh, I want to talk about uh, accountability a little bit. I want to talk about the family of believers. And um, my sermon this morning is entitled Looking Out. Next week we'll be uh, looking at a sermon entitled Looking In. And so we're going to be looking in Galatians chapter 6, beginning, and uh, we're going to look at verses 1 to 10. And as believers and as a church, we should be concerned, uh, first of all, for one another. We should be concerned for each other spiritually, mentally, physically, emotionally, and so on. And so this week I want to talk uh, about looking out for each other. So a lot of times when you hear the words looking out, you think about looking outside the building. But I want to talk about looking out for each other. Uh, and next week we're going to focus on why looking inward is paramount when it comes to our ability to look out for each other. And so I want to talk uh, about why that begins, pardon me, uh, when we hear the term, again, like I said, looking out in the church, we often, like I said, think outside the, the, the walls of the church, and I think we should think outside the, words, the walls of the church, but I want to bring you back inside. I want you to think about, over the next couple of weeks, primarily about the people that sit next to you in these pews, and maybe the people that you're thinking about now that normally sit next to these next to you in these pews that maybe haven't been out for a few weeks or whatnot. And uh, yeah, I just want to focus on the community of believers and uh, look into that a little bit. So I want to talk about why uh, that looking out for each other is important. So let's begin by reading Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 to 6. Next week, we'll look at verses 7 to 10. But this morning, for our purposes, we're going to be just looking at the first six verses. So beginning in Galatians Chapter 6, verses 1, it says this, Brothers and sisters, if someone, was, someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. God bless the reading of his word. Father, Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace, Lord. And I just pray, O oh God, today as we look at your word together today, and we think about those sitting next to us in the pew, and we think about those in the family, in the body of Christ. Oh God, I just pray that you would move our heart, that you would speak to our heart, maybe even lay someone on our heart, oh God, that we can reach out to and care for, Lord, in these next couple weeks. And so, Father, I pray that you would open this word to us, and that you would be the primary communicator of it to our hearts, and that you would use me, Lord, as a vessel, Lord, to present your word 
and the function and the anointing you place on my life to do it, Lord Jesus. Give me clarity of thought and speech. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Howard Hendricks was a longtime professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, and he recalls uh, this account. Dr. Hendricks tells a story of a young man who strayed from the Lord, but was finally brought back by the help of a friend who really loved him. And when there was full repentance and restoration, Dr. Hendricks asked the Christian how it felt away from the Lord. The young man said it seemed like he was out at sea in deep water, deep trouble, and all his friends were on the shore hurling biblical accusations at him about justice, penalty, and wrong. He says, but there was one Christian brother who actually swam out to get me and would not let me go. I fought him, but he pushed aside my fighting, grasped me, put a life jacket around me, and took me to shore. By the grace of God, he was the reason I was restored. He would not let me go. Illustration in itself is almost a sermon with a moral and all those things, you know. <laughs> if it's just stop there, I think we could sit down and think about it for a minute and apply what we're reading right there even to our hearts. But the thing, first thing we need to understand about this passage in Galatians 6 is it's about restoration. Uh, we can't just jump over this, this theme. Now, of course, we should be looking out for each other in a preventative way. In other words, helping people not to fall into temptation, not to get caught in different things. But after all, the Lord's Prayer does ask us uh, to pray and say, lead us not into temptation. So Jesus, when Jesus taught us how to pray, he, he prayed himself, lead us not into temptation. So if we can avoid it, obviously that would be key. But I have heard testimonies like this young man too many times, and they don't always end positively, unfortunately. Um, you may be even thinking about people here right now who got disillusioned by the church and frustrated with, with the church. And sometimes I think we forget that we're just people, right? We're people. We're sinners, we struggle, we make mistakes, and we need to admit those mistakes. We need to confess them, repent of them, and ask for forgiveness. These characteristics do not exist only outside of the church or inside of the church. They are universal. And sometimes I forget, we forget how important it is to confess our sins and to ask for forgiveness. And, you know, I've been reading some debate about, you know, when we talk about uh, coming to the Lord's table, you know, and coming in an unworthy manner. And I, I really think that this is a church thing that they talk about, you know, like, don't come with unforgiveness in your heart. Don't come with bitterness in your heart. Don't come with unconfessed sins, you know. Come with a clear mind, a clear conscience, and come before the Lord and deal with the things within the community before you do. These are clear and important guidelines give us to a scripture. Um, like I said, I've heard many testimonies like this illustration I just gave, and, and, and many times they don't, they don't really necessarily end positively. Many times it's because they hear too many people hurling biblical accusations, just like an illustration about justice, penalty, and wrong, and few who are willing to get wet and to swim out. Verse 1 makes clear, if we are to look out for each other and when necessary make effort to restore, we must be led by the Spirit. And so we've got to understand this morning what it means to be led by the Spirit. And if you just go back one chapter in Galatians, in chapter 5, Paul gets into this. And he says, Paul describes what it means in the previous chapter in Galatians 5, beginning of verse 17. He says, so I say, walk by the Spirit. 
and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. So we are to be led by God, we are to trust the desires of God, and we are to seek his guidance. The Holy Spirit is the counselor who guides us as we trust him. Our flesh, our heart wants what is opposite of the Spirit. But Paul goes on to list examples of the acts of the flesh. Now, this is not exhaustive, and he's talking about the things that are specific to what they're dealing with in that day, but many of these things stand out to us today as well. And he lists the acts Some of the acts of the flesh in in verses 19 to 21 in chapter 5, it says the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not going to do this, but if I did a, a little... It's up on the wall here as well, so that's kind of cheating. But if I ask you to just list back out of those sins, those acts of the flesh, which ones would you remember? I guarantee you if it wasn't on the wall and I just asked you straight out, the words that you would remember would be sexual morality, idolatry, orgies, you know, the the, the ones that stand out. But sometimes we overlook and we jump over the ones like discord. And we overlook jealousy. Fits of rage. I struggled greatly as a child with temper. I mean, like blackout moments of temper. I get it. You know, there's other, the other things listen here. Envy. You know, drunkenness would have been another one that we would probably listen. You know, these are the ones that stand out. These are the very visible. But I'm telling you that all these other ones, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, are just as important to pay attention to in our life. But then he lists the fruit of the Spirit. And we love reading this passage, don't we? Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 26 is, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, peace, forbearance, it says here, which is just another word for patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In other words, when you say the fruits of the Spirit, when people encounter people from the church, this is what they should encounter. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. It's funny that Paul goes back to those things, provoking and envying. He didn't go back to debauchery. He didn't go back to lust. He didn't go back to all these big, quote-unquote, big sins that we like to focus on. He said, so that you would stop provoking and envying each other. As those led by the Spirit, and now Paul has explained it in chapter 5, those led by the Spirit, we have a responsibility to each other to care for, support, and when necessary, restore each other. As believers who are led by the Spirit, we look out for each other by, first of all, in verse 1, chapter 1, verse, or chapter 6, verse 1, restoring gently. Now, I know sometimes, you know, when pastors preach these kind of ser- sermons, he's like, the, the mind, our, our, things go through our mind and say, okay, I wonder which one of us he's talking about. You know, I wonder what interaction or what thing he's talking about. Well, just relieve yourself of that. 
This is something that I, when I read the scripture this morning, God spoke to me. And, I, and sometimes when God speaks to you about preaching certain sermons and they're difficult topics, you know, you just got to say yes anyway, because otherwise you'll go to sleep and you'll be like, well, I said no to God. And you wake up Saturday night at three or Sunday morning at three in the morning. You're like, oh, I should have done that. And then the next thing you know, from three in the morning till seven in the morning, you're writing a new sermon because you should have obeyed God to begin with. So I've been a minister for 20 plus years and I've learned to obey him from the beginning now. So when he asked me to preach something hard, I preach something hard. And to be honest, there's not much in the gospel that doesn't come with some instruction, something that makes you feel a little uncomfortable, right? I always feel like we should leave church feeling a little bit uncomfortable sometimes because the word makes you do that. It makes you feel a little uncomfortable. But the first thing he says, for those led by the Spirit, you need to restore gently. He says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But what? watch yourself or you also may be tempted. To restore is to is understood as to mend or to furnish completely. It also gives the idea of making something complete or to train or prepare or ordain. And so, you know, you, sometimes you're, you're, there's preparation when going through restore, restoration. There's sometimes we need to prepare ourselves to restore. The tense is in the continuous presence, which means anyone who attempts to assist someone overcome a, a roadblock, obstacle, temptation, or hardship needs to be patient. They need to be determined and consistent in the process. This is why the word carry in verse 2 is so important here. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Carry in this context is understood to mean to bear up, to carry off, to bear with. It also understood as to support as a burden. And we're talking in the first person for the person who is restoring. For the restorer, the person who is helping restore, they need to support as if it was their burden. That is a powerful understanding, and it's a difficult one to hear. You are helping carry their burden, and in so doing, share in that burden with them. Now, not very many people are going to say, I see my friends struggling, and I'm just going to jump in the pool with them and struggle with them and help them out. It's difficult. You know, we like it when things are going smooth in our life, and sometimes it doesn't always go smooth. So we get a smooth patch, and we come across a brother or sister who needs help. We don't want to mess with our smooth patch, do we? But it's a powerful understanding, and this is where we make the decision to get wet or not. But there was one Christian brother who actually swam out to get me and would not let me go. I've heard tell, I've never had the opportunity to save somebody from drowning before, but I've heard people recall to me and literally people telling me that they almost had to knock people out to get them back to shore. Because they panic and they get out of their own way. And you literally just got to get their attention. I've heard people talk about slapping, even just with their elbow, just boom, just literally try to knock them out because otherwise they're going to drown both of them. And I love this illustration because it says somebody swam out and they fought for me. They fought with me for me. Man, I don't know if there are a few lines I think that should describe the church better than that. When you think about the brothers and sisters in Christ, you should be able to think of them as someone who would fight with me, for me. I have brothers who would fight with me, for me. I remember 
walking out of a basketball game one time and me and my brother in Newfoundland going into Mary Browns like good Newfoundlanders do. And I remember saying a swear word, just a very, it wasn't even, I guess, by all intents and purposes, that's salacious, but I said it and he walked over and he cracked me in the forehead with the palm of his hand. Brothers can do that. Get over it. <laughs> and he said, he looked at me and he said, we don't talk like that. And it sounds like a simple little thing. And not necessarily that he restored me from anything there. But, you know, that's why I like the idea of this word carry. It has an idea of preparation, ordaining it. Because, you know, my, my brother may have stopped me, you know, from letting something in my life that would lead me down a path to need restoration in the, in the future. I know it's silly. And I know it sounds silly to think that one word could. But, you know, my brother was saying, you know what? That path is not okay for you, and I'm not okay with it. So I will fight with you to get your attention about it. And I don't know, I look back that, at that moment as I still remember it clearly. I still remember how I felt in the moment, and it's just one of those pivotal moments where I'm so thankful that I had somebody to fight with me for me. but there was one Christian brother who actually swam out to get me and would not let me go. We share the burden and people need to feel as though someone is walking with them. And we hear the theme of walking all through Scripture. And Psalm 23 verse 4 is probably the most common that we hear. It says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. We love to talk about how God's with us in the darkest places. But can we listen to the voice of God when God tells us to go into the dark places and get people? Be willing to go into the valley and get them. You, led by the Spirit, could be the strength in the dark valley for somebody else. We need to understand that as believers who are led by the Spirit, we also look out for each other by carrying but not pointing. If everyone who had an opinion about another's burdens was willing to carry that person's burdens, what kind of difference would we make? Now, you need to stop and think about that for a minute. If everyone who had an opinion about another person's burdens was willing to help carry that person's burdens, what kind of a difference could we make? And I'm just talking about in this house. I'm not talking about what our social and our societal responsibilities outside these walls. I'm just talking about in this house in our family. To truly look out for each other, pardon me, my tablet just spazzed a little bit. <laughs> to truly look out for each other and to care for each other, we need to be willing to help people carry their burden. The Greek says to support as a burden. The reality is it is much easier to sit back, observe, and point. And did you hear what happened to so-and-so? They did this, they did that. Can you believe it? You know, we've all been part of these conversations, heard these conversations. Of course, I'm only telling you so that you can pray for them. Is that an amen or is that an ouch this morning? It's a little bit of an ouch for all of us, isn't it? The reality is it is much easier to sit back, observe, and point. Did you hear what happened? Like I said, to so-and-so and whatever. Can say... Can I say something blunt this morning? 
If we're not willing to get wet, if we're not willing to go rescue or to help the person carry their burden, then we need to close our mouths and simply pray. We think that because we come into a prayer circle of four or five people or six or seven people or ten or however many people is in your prayer circle, and we come in and we share someone's confidential information in that with their permission that it's okay because we're praying. It is not. It's not. You know how many people in the church have seen hurt because of that? And we say, but I'm just praying. I understand. They confided in you. They need you to get into water with them. They need your help, so pray. If they confide with somebody else, they give you permission to talk with someone else, then agree and pray. But don't take someone's confidential information and use an excuse like prayer to share it with somebody else when you do not have permission. That's hard. I read that, and I'm studying this this week, and I'm like, yeah, that's hard. Because sometimes we do these things without even thinking. If the person confides in you, pray with them. Check on them. Be there for them. Walk with them. That is, I mean, that is the definition of discipleship. That's a definition of caring for each other. If anyone else is brought into this situation, it is at the request of the one struggling And this is where the believers who are led by the Spirit look out for each other by also guarding against temptation. Now, this I don't know if this is the temptation you're kind of thinking about. Because if we look at Jude and we look at verses 20 down through 25, it talks about temptation, you know, guarding yourself when you go to rescue somebody. And it talks about mercy, showing mercy mixed with fear. And sometimes you've got to snatch others from the fire. And there's a desperation there because, you know, they're playing with their belief in God and their salvation, and there's a desperation of going in there, but I'm not sure that 100% that that's what this is talking about. Galatians 6, 3 and 5, it says again, if anyone thinks they are someone or something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one should carry their own load. You may be asking again, what kind of temptation are we talking about? The one who is tempted is the helper in this situation, not the helped. The miss here would be to think that the temptation is to not get caught in the struggle or the burden that one is assisting with. Help, but don't be influenced. In the world, but not of it. That kind of idea, right? The Jude chapter, verses 20 to 25 kind of idea. The real temptation here is pride. The real temptation here for the helper is pride. It says, if anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. At times, we are in danger of getting caught thinking that because we are the helper and they are the help, that means that we are better than them. Now, none of us is going to say this out loud. We don't believe this about ourselves, but we, I, this is where I think, you know, the Scripture tells us to test our motives, and I think it's important. The test our motives before we, we, we take on these situations. The process of restoration is not about judgment. It is about mercy. It is about kindness. It is about family. It's about knowing that it could easily be any of us. You know, as a minister, I've got to take this very seriously. You know how many people, friends, colleagues I've seen that have found themselves caught in sin? I'm I'm sick of reading about it. But I'm 
would be greatly remiss if I thought that I was exempt from it. If you talked to my wife, you would hear very quickly all the guards that I put in my life with doors open, written schedules, like appointments, making sure I'm not in the office alone, not meeting with certain... I do not put myself in certain situations where I feel like... And I do it. And I've told countless kids and young people that I've mentored to flee the appearance of temptation. Flee it. It's not worth it. The enemy makes you think that whatever you're looking at is better He makes you think that it has no consequences. He makes you think that there's a feeling that you can have and it's just not worth it. And I know there's not a lot of pastors that I'm here speaking to right now, but I'm speaking to you as well. It's not worth it. Your marriage is not worth breaking up for foolishness. Your job is not worth losing because of an unfair dealing. There's more than just infidelity here, right? There's a lot of different things we can apply this to in society today. And you know what? Yes, sometimes we get caught and we need to realize that we're no different than anybody else. We subject ourselves to the same temptations. We will experience the same cause and effect results. And when we think that we're exempt and we think that this will not happen, oh, that will never happen to me. He's got you right where he wants you. We are all sinners. One of the first things I say to myself in the morning is, God, sometimes I get up, God, I feel my sin. (laughs) I just say it in my heart, and I sit on the edge of the bed, and my wife probably thinks I'm crazy sometimes because I sit there on the edge of the bed for a while. But in those moments, I'm just sitting and just, Sometimes I wake up, I say, God, I feel my sin. And you know, I I realize that we're sinners and I just confess my need of him every day. There are no high positions or low positions in the kingdom of God. We are all sinners. We need grace. The enemy will use our pride to trick us into comparison. I won't spend a lot of time here because Pastor Connie did such a great job talking about the pitfalls of comparison a couple weeks ago, but we've got to talk about comparison a little bit here this morning. Our pride will inevitably lead us to comparison. And verse 5 says, for each one should carry his own load. And that word load just is heavy, right? It sounds heavy, but each person should carry their own load. We come across the word carry again here, and it's, it has a different kind of understanding this time. It's in reference to the burden carried by the believer for failure in the matter of discharging the obligations of discipleship. So in other words, if you do not take up the burden of another person, then you're, you're not doing what a disciple should do, not doing what a disciple maker should do. You're not picking up, you're not carrying the burden, then you're ignoring an obligation that's been placed on your heart by the Spirit of God. We will be held accountable before God for how we help each other as believers, and the example, is set, uh, and the example that it sets in society. We will all stand before God and be personally accountable for our own life, our works, our actions, and our motives. Pride is so dangerous because it causes us to say, well, at least I'm not like that person. As if just good enough is the goal. We are the same as that person. 
If we want to compare ourselves to someone, we should compare ourselves to Christ. Talk about a humbling exercise. That's the ultimate pride eraser, is to stop and compare ourselves to Christ. It's probably a good thing to do, you know, when you're planning and you say, I know my friend's in trouble. Stop and say, God, help me to be like you in this situation. Help me to be you to this person. The only difference between us is which struggles we face. They may even be secret struggles. People's struggles may be public and, your, and public and yours may not be. People may not know uh, you are drowning, but in the body of Christ, it is inevitable that at some point we will all need the support of another spirit-led brother or sister who is willing to swim out and help us back to shore. Otherwise, we are no better than the priest and the Levite who crossed to the other side of the road instead of helping their brother who was beaten and robbed and left to die. In Luke chapter 10, you're familiar with the Good Samaritan, I'm sure. Yes, there were ceremonial reasons why they crossed over the other road. The priest, the Levite, there was, you know, cleanliness reasons by the law. I get it. There was a lot of ceremony reasons why they did so. But their reasons were not as strong as those of the Samaritan, a historical enemy of the person in the ditch, who was for some reason willing to carry his enemy's burdens. Pride that leads to comparison is not an argument for success. Thank God my life is not as bad as theirs. It is not an argument for righteousness. Well, at least I'm holier than that person. We cannot propel our status before God by looking down at others. They're, these are thoughts we are all tempted with daily. Let's think back to the illustration I used earlier as I, as I close with these two questions this morning. When we see a brother or sister in Christ struggling burdened, tempted, will will we be the ones on the shore hurling biblical accusations at him or her about justice, penalty, or wrong, or will we be the ones willing to get wet? Are we going to dive in, take up the fight for our family? Even if they are drowning and you have to fight to keep their head above water, restoration is not judgment. Restoration is not comparison. Restoration is not neglect. Restoration is not ignorance. And here's the real kicker. kicker. Society is watching. Yeah, I, I wish I didn't hear this all the time, but the biggest excuse I hear, especially with people who have any experience with the church, have made an attempt at church in the past or, or decided not to go back. When I talked to people about Jesus, the biggest excuse I ever heard was I would gladly go to church if it wasn't for the Christians. Yeah, that hurts. Because we forget sometimes that they're watching us. Your primary reason to be good people (laughs) is to be like Christ. But the greatest understanding to be able to get to that place is to realize that you can't be good without Christ. We are not good. We don't understand good. Christ is the only one who has ever been good. But by grace, he welcomes us into this family. And we are all in this family because of grace. Because of mercy. Because he took our punishment when we deserved it. And when we don't share that grace and we don't share that mercy within these walls, and I'm talking figuratively, right? Like within this family, when we don't share that grace, we don't share that mercy, we don't share that kindness with each other, why on earth 
would anybody ever want to be a Christian? Why would they ever want to be a follower of Christ? There's a lot of good people in this world. There's also a lot of people that don't know Jesus Christ and they think they're good and they think they're okay and they think that heaven is their reward for being good and being okay, but they don't know Jesus. We need to put on display for them what it means to be Jesus Christ, first of all, to each other and then to them. And you say, well, where do you get that order from? Well, I get it from this exact same passage. If you go down to verse 10, it says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Especially. You know, I'm haunted by the words of Jesus after the parable of the Good Samaritan. You go back to Luke chapter 10, verses 3 to 36 to 37. It says, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert of the law replied, you know, the lawyer or the guy who knew the law backwards and forwards. He says, the one who had mercy on him. It was obvious. And Jesus told him, and here's the words that haunt me. He says, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. The most important words in that entire parable. We, we pick that parable apart. We talk about all the excuses and all the reasons why the priesthood of Levi were justified to go across. And we talk about it all. And we talk about the Samaritan being the enemy and that he shouldn't have bothered with the Jewish person in the world in there. But, but the whole message of this passage is mercy. Is loving someone who by society's standards don't deserve to be loved. And he says, you know what, it's uncommon, it's, it's uncommon mercy when, you're, when your own enemy is willing to get in the ditch, get in the dirt, and, and to pull you out, to bandage your wounds, use their own resources for your care. And this is what he's saying to me. He said, this is the work of an enemy for someone he saw in care. And then he says, go and do likewise. got to start here. You got to think about these words, go and do likewise. Here he's talking about a mortal enemy, somebody from another part of the world that they've been fighting with. You know, in this modern day, you could be, you could really say it's an Israelite who found somebody a Palestinian or a Palestinian who found an Israelite. Let's put it in that context. And doing the same thing and caring for them in the same way. We got to ask ourselves, you know, can I say go and do likewise within the building, within the body of Christ first? Because if you don't do it here, you're less likely to do it out there. We need to go and do likewise, yes, but we cannot neglect to do likewise in the family. Go back to Galatians chapter 5, and I want to repeat these words for you again love, joy peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When we think of the body of Christ, we think of the people we look up to, the people who have mentored us, and the people that we should be mentoring. I want people to describe me with these words. And I'm held by the thought that maybe somebody won't. (laughs) 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I challenge you today. I challenge you today. I don't know. I've only been here seven months. I don't know all the details of your life. I don't know who really gets along with who, who doesn't get along with anybody. All I know is that I've been around a church long enough and things emerge. And today you can decide and say, I'm going to prepare today that I'm not going to be involved in that kind of nonsense. Amen? I'm not going to be the one that causes splits. I'm not going to be the one that causes division. I'm not going to be the one that points the figure when somebody's hurting. I'm going to be the one that's willing to swim out to where they are. And if need be, I'm going to fight with them to make them understand the situation they're in so that I can get them back to shore. I need people like that in my life. I have people like that in my life. I go out of my way to make sure that they're close to me because I would do the same for them. Again, Galatians 6, chapter 10, and I'll close with this. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Next week, we're going to look into the passage a little bit farther. And we're going to talk about, you know, reaping what you sow. This is something in this society that people don't really understand and is misused in a lot of different ways. But I'm going to talk about our own accountability, accountability for ourselves and how that affects the life of the church. I know this is a little bit of a different sermon than you're used for me today. And to be honest, it's a hard one to preach because I don't know where you all are. But I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you know, you take what's being heard today. And if only you need to leave here with it as a caution in your life to guard your heart against the traps that the enemy is going to set for you and your family, the traps that he's going to set in your workplace, the traps that he's already planning to set in this church under the oversee of the new guy. That's me, by the way. <laughs> he's already got plans. I've, I've been in the church long enough that when things are going smooth, pray harder. Do you hear me? When you're on the hilltop, pray harder because the enemy doesn't notice you in your pit or in your struggles or in your, because that's where he wants you to be. But when you're at the top of the hill, pray harder. When you're in the best time of your life, pray harder. When there's obstacles that are approaching, pray harder. You may not see the obstacles, but that's why you need to pray harder because by the Spirit of God, He sees them and He prepares you. So when you're in the good place and you feel like, oh, I don't need to pray, everything's good, God, thank you. And we say thank you a lot. Pray harder because the enemy will notice you in that place and he does not want you comfortable. I'm not telling you that he's going to come in and that you got to wake up every day and fight him off every day, but the reality is he's going to set pitfalls for you. Nobody is exempt. So pray harder. Amen? You know, the songs we talked about today talked about the goodness of God, and we're going to sing about it again. And how I keep myself honest, how I keep myself from comparing myself to anybody else, comparing my problems to anybody else's problems and I'm sure I, I have in the past and we all have but is to remind myself of the goodness of God to get closer to God and say God give me your mind give me your heart give me your mercy give me your grace because you did not give me grace and mercy to keep it for myself you gave it to me so that I would give it away freely as well amen 
Let's just sing this morning about his goodness before we leave.